Hello, everybody. Welcome to In It for the Long Run, our third episode, and we're glad you're still here with us. This is the podcast where we talk about the lessons that we learn when we commit to long-term journeys. And with me, I have the lovely Claudia from Mansion. Hey, Tranos. How's it going? It's going pretty cool. I think that is a pretty good intro for our little race updates. So it's going good with me. My legs are (laughs) nowhere as sore as they used to be when I started off training, which is honestly such a blessing. So it's nice to be able to walk. But yeah, race updates, I think it's going pretty good. I have gotten up to about a half marathon, which I think is a big accomplishment. So I think once I get to finishing a full marathon, I mean, that's the next gap and also shortening my runtime. So I'm excited about those two next new goals to to work on. Other than that, yes, uh, anyone that's been following from previous episodes, Miss Martha, my mom has logged in a hotel for her stay in St. George, Utah. So super excited to have that support. How about you, Claudia? Well, you saw my eyes get really wide when you said you did a half marathon. For any new listeners that are joining our (laughs) podcast, Cernos and I are training for the St. George Marathon. As part of our training, we started this podcast to keep each other on track and also to talk to different individuals that have done really long journeys themselves. We think running our first marathon is a pretty big journey for Cernos and I and try to learn lessons uh, from them. So I've been doing okay. I ran five miles today. So, you know, not a not a half marathon, but I wasn't in pain. Like I felt really good. So that's an improvement. Yeah. Oh, great. Anyways. What more can you ask for? Yeah. Yeah. And good job on running on your birthday weekend. Shout out to Tranos, who I don't know if I'm allowed to say how old you just turned, but congrats. <laughs> it begins with a three and ends with a zero. Yes. Uh, I turned 30 yesterday. So kind of fun to, to still have been able to squeeze in a little run on my birthday. Just to just to prove that I still I still got it and still got a little bit of energy in my inner body. But yes, super excited to be in the 30s club. Claudia is going to join us a little later this year. No, so I'm not voting as well. We don't talk about that. But also, still got it. Like King, like 30 is <laughs> the new 20. Like this is going to be the best decade. Today we have a guest who he's a hiker. Uh, hiking currently the Pacific Crest Trail. For those that don't know, the Pacific Crest Trail is a hike that extends 2,560 miles. Kind of makes our marathon look a little small, but whatever. (laughs) Moving on from that, my ego's a little shot. It starts from the southern border of California to the northern border of Washington State. It's kind of difficult to pinpoint who started the Pacific Crest Trail and decided, I just want to walk over 2,000 miles. But shout out to Catherine Montgomery. Always love a strong woman in history for coming up with the idea of a track that extended along the entire West Coast of the United States. So that was in 1926. So she's pretty B.A. We see the trail's popularity grew after a famous 2014 film, Wild, featuring Reese Witherspoon, which was based off a true story of a solo hiker, yet another female in history. It was Cheryl Strayed. She completed the trek in 1995. Currently, the Pacific Crest Trail, there's about, they issued about 4,700 through hike permits this year. Before 2014, it was less than a thousand. So you can see a lot of people are starting to really be into this through hike. And we're just kind of curious, like what is what is taking them there? What are they doing? What is happening? And today we have an individual who's has one of these permits and is hiking there this year. 
His name is Christopher Fermanchik, or Chris Fermanchik, I think is what he likes to go by. He's a young professional based in Seattle and is currently taking a sabbatical to complete the stream. We've been keeping tabs on his social media. Based off his last checkpoint, he's over 750 miles into his trek and nearly 30% through the entire hike. He started in California, heading northbound when he encountered the snow-covered Sierras, took a bit of a fall, and is now recovering for the past week. And just due to the amount of snowfall, which this year has record high amounts, I was reading about 56 feet. We'll check in with him because he probably knows a little bit better about those conditions. So he actually flew back to Seattle and will be heading back to the trail going southbound, starting on the northern border of Washington State. So we're going to check in to see, you know, how he feels about the journey so far, what he's learned and his decision to redirect course, because I'm sure that wasn't an easy decision to make. So without further ado, I'm going to allow Chris is on the line. Hello. Hi. Um, A man of few words. Yes. Hello. (laughs) How how are you doing? Well, coming back to civilization, I ended up catching a cold, which at least I'm home enough to be able to recover from uh, and not not out on trail recovering because I've seen a couple other people get sick and it really sucks. But yeah, just getting better and getting ready to head back out on trail later this week. Yeah, we're glad that you're safe and you're sound and it sounds like you're getting healthier every minute. I saw I heard on your highlight reel on your Instagram that you also hurt your ankle. So you're just really getting thrown through the ringer here. Yeah, all the time. Uh, the, the ankle wasn't too bad. It was enough to just make me really sore. So like I was limping one day when I had to do the 12 mile roadblock. But within two, three days, it was perfectly good enough to do 25 miles again. But since I've been sick and laying in bed, it's fully recovered now. Jonas, did you just hear he's hiking 25 miles? So he's essentially doing a full marathon on a daily basis. How do you but feel about like that? In a hiking form, too. So that's what makes uh, what makes my legs shake. That is that is quite, uh, quite intimidating. I am literally running in a straight line, and that freaks me out. So kudos to the, to the hiking situation. Also, Chris, don't feel bad about uh, coming off of your cold. I feel like when you get that hoarse, bassy voice, that's like perfect for the podcast, actually. So <laughs> thank you for uh, giving a little extra spice to it. I, I'm glad it's useful for something. <laughs> um, so usually we play a game on here, Ternos. I don't know if you want to introduce it before we jump in to kind of some more questions about your trek so far, just to get to know our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So this is a segment that we've been carrying through since the first episode, um, informally called That's a Stretch, otherwise more commonly known as Two Truths and a Lie. So Chris, the rules are you will give us two truths about your life and one lie about your life, and it's up to both Claudia and I to guess which is the truth and which is the lie. Just a quick heads up, definitely wait for both of us to guess uh, before hopping in. Otherwise, yeah, take it away. What are what are your two truths in the life? All right. Let's see. So I've never broken a bone. I am also a runner, and my record for a 5K is just under 20 minutes. Hmm. And I've had an article in a national magazine before. Oof. Okay. Has I it think... been featured in an article, not written the article? Ah. I I feel like, similar to last episode, Claudia has a bit of an advantage here as you're, in fact, (laughs) our guest's sister and grew up with him. However, my guesses would be that I feel like the 
first one is a lie and you have in fact had an article published and you have an under 20 minute 5k time but claudia what do you think i don't remember you ever breaking a bone and i what i kind of think that you would be in an article and not tell anyone in our family so i'm gonna say (laughs) the 20 minute because i think you probably run it faster i said under 20 minutes oh under 20 minutes I'm just going to say that one, just because I think, I I don't know. Claudia is correct. I'm not that fast. (laughs) I think think my current time is just under 21 minutes. I still have quite a ways to go in my running to build up some speed. Wait, what what is this article? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know about this. So there was a magazine called Nintendo Power years ago. And for winning a tournament, I was highlighted in an article there that is so so badass (laughs) yeah i mean i'm gonna switch the entire focus of this podcast onto the (laughs) nintendo (laughs) tournament i'm very curious uh no i won't derail this too much but just tell us what is what was the tournament what game was it on nintendo uh that was mario kart for the ds love it love it but yeah for sure uh that wraps up our two truths and a lie and i think we can hop into some of the juicy questions we have uh set up for you so we're going to ask Chris some questions about his hike so far. First one being, how would you summarize your trek so far? How many miles in are you and how has it been? What's your experience? Yeah, so I'm 750 miles of official PCT miles in. Um, I stopped in in the Sierra at Cottonwood Pass and, and took off from there. Probably have some extra miles that I've done off trail, getting to and from trails. I probably have done like 850 within those six weeks. And it feels good. Um, I mean, up until I came home and was sick, it was, it was feeling really great. I wasn't having to take breaks. I think the last break I took was like two weeks into my trip. And then otherwise I've been hiking every single day. And what does a break look like? Is that like going into town to like get an Airbnb? Is that like a little spa day or like what? what Pretty is much. Uh, it depends on whoever whoever the person is. For me, it was, yeah, g- getting into town. I think that was when I, so like anytime I get into town, I'll still like get a hotel room or, or a hostel or something and just to stay the night and pick up groceries and do laundry and things. But I wouldn't count that as a rest day. That's more like get to town, take care of the stuff I need to. And if I'm there with other people, hang out. But like a rest day would be, you wake up in the hotel, you do mostly nothing all day. <laughs> you you just rest, relax, and then you start hiking the next day. And yeah, so I did that in Idlewild where I was in a cabin with like nine other hikers. and We just kind of hung out for a few days while we were waiting out of the storm and just took turns making food and stuff like that. No, I love that. I love that sense of community. I was going to say for listeners that may not know, while you're on the track and you're in like the wilderness, there are opportunities to come off the trail and go into town. How often would you say you're in town versus kind of in a remote area? Basically, town is where I resupply. So I am in town on average every like four days or so, four to five days. So I, I've heard it described as you can think of the PCT not as one giant backpacking trip, but a whole bunch of really small backpacking or mid-sized backpacking trips put right back to back together and strung along. That's a fun little play with words there, back-to-back backpacking trips. (laughs) What do you think has been the most surprising so far for you? I don't know if I've really been, I've had this question asked me a few times and I don't really think of anything has been particularly surprising. 
it's it's kind of been what I've expected and I've enjoyed it for that. I guess the most surprising thing would be just how quickly I, I found myself able to adapt. Mm. But I wouldn't even say that was particularly surprising. Is that because you had done like research beforehand or talked to friends about it? Or what was your exposure to this, I guess, journey beforehand? Obviously, there's a lot of prep that goes into it. But I guess until you're on it, is, do you really know what it's about? So what was your pre-exposure to this, to the track? Yeah, I, I had read some articles. I talked to some people who did it. So I had an idea of what to expect. I hadn't been backpacking in almost a decade. So that in and of itself, I didn't have the, the fresh memory of. But I kind of knew just like, yeah, I'm going to, if I want to get 20 miles done at two and a half miles per hour, that's 10 hours of hiking, plus getting, re- getting up in the morning, getting ready for camp, sleeping. I mean, you just hike all day. That's what it is. Yeah. And you said sometimes, especially when you're in town, you're hanging out with other hikers. I know you started this trip as a solo hiker. Have you been mostly alone on this journey or have you been kind of teaming up with other others that have, you know, are on the trail as well? So first two weeks, I, I had a family I was hanging out with. Um, I actually met them on the shuttle on the way to the terminus. And then I just wanted to go a bit faster. So do a few more miles every day and didn't want to take as many zeros as they were. So they were like taking those rest days in town. Meanwhile, I was feeling like I can just keep going. So that's kind of where I ended up just taking off from that at some point. And so I had quite a few days in which I was like completely solo, wasn't really seeing anybody or would see like a a person for an evening and I'd be at camp with them and be like, hey, and then never see them again. (laughs) But there's been a couple of times where I've met a few hikers that end up going my pace. So I've hiked with uh, like small groups of like two, three people for like two, three days at a time uh, before either they leave me or I leave them. Is that something that you had planned beforehand? Were you considering like doing a group thing the entire way through? Or are you like more of a solo hiker that prefers to just have a one-on-one experience? I mean, I've had both now. I, I think at least of the hiking in and of itself, like when I'm moving my legs, uh, it's kind of fun to just have it solo. I don't need to chat with people or be hiking behind somebody. But it is nice to just hang out with people at camp at the end of the day. And it's just a matter of finding people who are going to be at the same pace. And sometimes that doesn't happen. In fact, most of the time it doesn't for me just because I was picking up the pace quite a bit. But it was still fun to just meet new people every once in a while. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I love me a solo trip. Like, I feel like it's almost like meditative to some degree. Having that time to yourself, especially out in nature, must feel really, really good. Of course, I've never done like a solo hike before. The closest I would say is like a road trip. So I'm a bit more of a luxury queen that way. Um, But still some good, good solo time is very much appreciated on my end. So I I totally get the advantages of that. Jonas, you don't you don't love backpacking? Remember the last time we went? <laughs> oh, yeah. The the entire 20 minutes that we made it up the mountain, that was a magical experience for me personally. Chernos ended up running away with half our gear, and I had to run back <laughs> towards the car where he was heading. <laughs> but did uh, we survive? <laughs> <laughs> we did. We did. And I know that there's a pretty common culture on the trail to give each other nicknames, and you've been around some of, like you mentioned, you started a tramley. What did they give you a nickname? Uh, yeah, the nickname I ended up getting is Gandalf. 
And so that that came about uh, originally just because I was everybody uses two trekking poles to push themselves forward, and I only was using one, and that and I was holding it like a staff grip, and the guy's just like, you know, that that's like a Gandalf grip. And I was just like, yeah. And so they they were like, and they were like, yeah, maybe that's not enough to give you Gandalf. But I would constantly like disappear on them and then just show up at random times. And one time I gave him the quote of, a wizard is never late, nor is he early. He rises precisely when he needs to. And they're like, yeah, you're Gandalf. <laughs> do, do you think the nicknames, because obviously, I don't know if you participated in giving people their nicknames. Do you think it plays into their identity while they're on the trail a little bit? Me in a joking way sometimes, but I don't, for the most part, not really. So if your name's Compass, you won't get in trouble for going the wrong direction? <laughs> no. Somebody <laughs> might expect you to, to go the right way, but... Yeah, okay. Like, no pressure at all, yeah. Any interesting people you've met, you know, on the track or off the track? Yeah, some. Uh, I think probably the most interesting guy is actually PCT hiker who hikes the trail annually. And so he's like 60 years old right now. And when I saw him, he's like, yep, I'm on my second way through the desert. I've done about a thousand miles thus far. You know, this is just a warm up after knee surgery. I'm going to actually start the trail in July going southbound. <laughs> So the lesson's there. You're never too old. That's what I'm as long as you keep yourself in shape to begin with. He also gave me some good tips on like, because he, he has a really light pack. So his base weight was like seven pounds. He's like, yep, don't carry a stove. I have one lightweight jar that I can make shakes in. I can wash my socks in. Does everything. <laughs> Wait, what? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was literally about to ask about logistics because I think that's not something that came to mind until you mentioned laundry earlier. Then I was like, wait a second, you're literally hiking for days. Of course, you're going to need to do laundry, cook food, charge your phone, little things like that. Is there anything that was a surprise to you in that regard? You're like, oh my gosh, I forgot my charger, LOL. Or like, what are the logistics like for someone that's hiking for days on end? Well, actually, in the case of chargers, I did have a surprise because my charger, I had tested it several times, gone through several cycles before I left. And when I arrived on the trail, the charging ports died. So I was I couldn't charge the battery and I was stuck with just whatever charge it had. So I had to put everything into extremely low power mode no. and survive off of the one battery basically for two weeks, more or less before I was able to order another one and have it delivered to the trail. Deliver? You see, that's another logistics thing. Like, where would you get something like an Amazon delivery on the trail? Like, So when I was in Idlewild, when we were staying in the cabin, I knew I was going to be there for a few days. So I was able to just have it delivered to like a delivery zone there mm. and just pick it up. I just have one more follow-up too. Is like, okay, you also mentioned your phone. That's another logistics. Like map-wise, is that your main course or is that like one path that everyone's following? Are you using like a map and compass old-fashioned style? How does one stay on course, especially someone like you going solo? I'd imagine it might be a little bit intimidating that you get lost and not have anyone to like tap their shoulder. Like how do you, how do you stay on course? So the PCT is actually really well marked, although... I and I've encountered some other people that still also end up off trail and then particularly in the snowy regions where you can't see the trail at all mm. because it's completely invisible. Maps are still necessary. Uh, pretty much everybody uses an app called Far Out. So it has 
kind of a just rudimentary map that makes use of your GPS. And then the big advantage of it is it has a bunch of waypoints where people can leave comments. So it'll say like, these, there are campsites here, there's water source here. And then you can go into the comments and see people ahead of you saying like, oh, the water source is frozen or the water source is dried up mm. or the water source is, is flowing. You're like, great, I know I can pick up water there. <laughs> and like, it sounds like you always have access to internet. I mean, sometimes I get in an elevator and I can barely use internet. So if, if you have it on the trail the entire time, that would be pretty useful. How, how's the internet out there? I actually don't have internet a lot of the mm-hmm. time. I'd say maybe about 30 to 40% of the time I have reliable internet. And the others, it can be from incredibly spotty to nothing. So the, the apps and, and all the comments are all downloaded. Uh, so it's just what updating those comments uh, is what you'd have to have an actual connection for. Mm-hmm. And what do you think the scariest part of being on the trek is? Is it the isolation? Is it not having the internet? Is it having to wash your socks in the same container as your smoothie? (laughs) I know that you don't do that, but someone did. Um, Or is it like, are there any strange people that you would encounter or like the bears? Like what, what is, what is the one thing you are kind of nervous about when you're on the trail or is there nothing? I haven't been nervous about anything. The one thing that made me slightly nervous would be river crossings, namely the ones in the Sierra that I didn't go to because of the uh, large amount of snow, snow melt, lots of water. And while I possi- I probably could have proceeded a bit farther, I don't think I'd be able to make it all the way through before all the snow bridges start melting. And especially because I was going solo in that region, I'd be very concerned about that. So that, that was the reason why I wanted to head off trail there and then pick going southbound from the northern terminus just because then I don't have to jump around because most people are jumping up to Chester and continuing to go north from there and going to like Portland and going south. Mm-hmm. So there's a bunch of people doing a bunch of different things. And I was just like, this is the easiest way logistics wise. Was it kind of a hard decision to make to separate from some of the other hikers that you knew or just to even get off the trail? I know from my own experience kind of doing longer treks more on a bicycle, it is pretty difficult to restart once you're off and away from that day-to-day routine. I wasn't so afraid of restarting originally. Now that I've been sick and laying in bed and probably atrophied a little bit, I'm going to go from being able to do 25 miles a day easily to probably having to spend all day to just get 20 miles in and be a bit tired. But I guess that's just what it is because of getting sick. But like leaving the trail, I mean, leaving for a few days, it's fine. Like I said, I wasn't taking rest days. I kind of figured, oh, this is kind of like bunching up all the rest days I could have taken. Mm. Uh, And then plus a few more now from getting sick. Well, just remember to give yourself some grace. I know how hard it is when you feel like at the top of your physical game and then something like that happens and it feels like you kind of have to start over. So I know that's tough. My my first stretch out, I have to do, I think, 110 miles before I get to my first stop where I can pick up food. So I'm basically telling myself, "Eh, if I don't hike hard enough, I go hungry. (laughs) okay well at least you're preparing mentally for it (laughs) yeah (laughs) strong mental preparation right there i mean hey if they have amazon orders maybe you can get like doordash out there too and just order quick (laughs) quick pick me up along the way (laughs) i think that's not where i'm going next (laughs) 
I did a little bit of research on land also on the Pacific Coast Trail. There's a website called halfwayanywhere.com that has some very fascinating stories off what has gone on on the trail. I'm curious what your perspective on these would be. I think the one that stood out to me, and it's very short, someone pretty much gave a blurb about what they went through. They said, around 20 miles after Old Station, we camped on a ranch and thought we were going to get trampled by cows in the middle of the night. Is that a concern or theory that you've had, I guess, in general, of animals on the trail? The website also had like bears and uh, cougars. What, what animals are out there in the wild? Uh, the largest thing I've seen thus far is probably like a marmot. I've heard some people encounter a few bears. There's been I've seen some rattlesnakes. Then again, I've talked to some people who stepped on rattlesnakes and were fine. So obviously, it's it it seems more a situation of do you get unlucky enough to get bitten more than <laughs> are you careless enough? I'm glad you mentioned rattlesnakes. That was actually the top animal that people said they encounter, and a bunch of people said they stepped on it too. But that's very interesting. Good, good, good. And not to freak you out in the next half of your hike, but I just thought it was a little fascinating. And I know that you guys have to hitchhike often to get into town and resupply. What Do you have any good hitchhiking stories? Yeah, so there's also a lot of trail angels, and sometimes you get really lucky. Like I, right before the LA Aqueduct, a bunch of people were said that they it took them like three hours to be able to get a ride to get the nine miles down to the Weeville Market. Meanwhile, I get there, and as soon as I get there, there's just a trail angel waiting, and he's just like, oh, yeah, I was going to leave in about five minutes if you want to just hop in. And I'm like, sure. <laughs> and then I get there, and they're like, how did you get a ride so easily? <laughs> so it's just a matter of luck. So when I was hiking with two other hikers, we were going from an RV camp to the town of Acton. So it's like a 10-minute hitch. It's fairly well known, at least, that there's PCT hikers. We'd all showered. We had our town clothes on. So we were like mostly clean. We had a woman in our group. It was like, sure, should be easy to get a hitch. We, so we're standing out there trying to get one. And like over 100 cars go by over the course of half an hour and like nobody stops. And then finally, this one guy stops, Boogie. And it was great because we wanted a hitch so badly. <laughs> So he he pulls up. It's it's a hot day. It's like close to 100 degrees. So he's just out there. He's like in his underwear driving in his like kind of beat up Chevrolet. No there's a bunch of tools here. in the back. And he's just like, oh, yeah, come on. Like, sorry, there's tools in the back. Just kind of shove them out of the way. So like the two other hikers, they like stuff their packs there. They squeeze into like a seat and a half. I get into the front. He just like the front seat's covered in like trash. He just shoves it onto the floor. So I'm just standing on it. It's like, great. <laughs> we got a hitch. That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. So as we're, we're going down, um, he's just like, oh yeah. So are you guys from Acton? So he does not, he, he does not realize like we're, we're hikers. And we're like, no, we're doing the PCTs. Like what's the PCT? We're like, we're hiking from Mexico to Canada. And it doesn't seem like it quite registered with him. Because at the end, like he's he, it, it's customary for uh, PCT hikers to like offer gas money and things just to be courteous, make sure that people like picking up hikers. And his response was like, "No, no, you know, I I wouldn't feel right. You know what? How about you guys take some money and also here's some weed." <laughs> <laughs> and one of the hikers is like sure i'll take the weed but like we do not need the money <laughs> we were all in our 30s like professionals like we don't need the money 
<laughs> but it, it seemed pretty obvious he just thought we were homeless <laughs> from the area. He's like, I don't know about this PCT story. Seems like yeah. Ooh, Mexico to Canada. Like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was a fun hitch. It's interesting that you say because you had a woman that it would be easier to get a hitch. I would think that maybe it would be harder, at least I guess if a girl was alone, because I would think that like drivers would be nervous that like she like to scare her or something. Do you, I, don't do, I don't know. Have you talked to female hikers? Do they have an easier time getting a car? I think it's just more the perception of like you want the you want either the woman or the best looking person up front. So people are more likely to stop. Interesting. Okay. Because <laughs> you don't want like the scary guy, scary tall guy, and like stop and pick him up. Yeah, intimidating. Yeah. And I happened to talk to you briefly, and I'm very curious to hear more about the story about your family getting a hitch from potentially a cult participant or cult leader or something. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, the 12 tribes, uh, apparently they're big on the AT, the, the Appalachian Trail, uh, and they've started coming around to the PCT, uh, and they try to, like, pick up hikers, take them out to their, like, compound or something and, like, convert them or something. I don't know. So we had seen them a few days into our trip. They were, like, handing out some homemade energy bars or something and trying to offer people rides to, like... They're like, all right, we'll leave here at six. We'll get there at nine. We'll have breakfast at nine thirty, <laughs> and we're all like, nope. <laughs> I mean, how did you identify that these are them? Did people say like, watch out for these folks hanging out, homing? I mean, they're giving out or... cards with with we'll... twelve tribes on them. <laughs> uh, okay, well, yeah, that would that would give it away. <laughs> <laughs> like with the energy bars, like it's okay. it's quite obvious. <laughs> yeah. Um, I... I've read a little bit that they are very popular on the Appalachian Trail and they even have like a hostel that they manage and allow hikers to stay for free at and that they've been very friendly, but they are very kind of based out of like Christian fundamentalism and they've had some controversy surrounding their cult concerns with child abuse and racism and things that often go along with being a cult. Uh, and many encounters are very nice and offer free food. So that's, it's interesting. Yeah. So one of the big hitches that people generally do is there's PVC, which is a kind of a cafe that's a, maybe like 20 miles from Idlewild, which is a kind of one of the larger towns you stop in and is right before you go into the mountains where there's, you encounter snow for the first time. So kind of one of those important hitches to go. I had arrived there earlier, hung out with another hiker, met some other older hikers. They paid for a ride to some guy in nice, like, luxury SUV. So I had a great ride out to town. <laughs> the rest of my family arrived later. And so they had met the 12 tribes guy. He had asked if they want to ride. They told him no. So they went out to go hitch. Somebody pulls up in a van. They're like, great. Put all their stuff in the back, get in the van. After they're all in, the 12 tribes guy that they saw walks into the van and sits inside. And then they realize... This is the 12 tribes van. <laughs> oh, and there's a trail angel that as soon as they start getting their they're in, pulls over, boxes them in, starts yelling at the 12 tribes people, telling them that he told them to stay away from hikers. And he starts asking them, like, do you know who who you're in the car with? And they're like, no. And he's like, you'll want to get out of the car. And 
my my trailer was saying like they were like like they all had this different reaction like some of them were scrambling to the door trying to get out others were just like well this is my situation i give up <laughs> and then, then apparently like after they got out of the car it took a while to just get their stuff out of the van they were they're worried like well maybe all our stuff is just gone now scramble but, as fast as you can but uh, yeah that would yeah they they ended up getting funny. having another trail angel come by and giving them to ride to town what a wild story i don't know how i would react Tranos, do you have how would you react if you were thinking that you could potentially be kidnapped by colt and converted into fundamental christianity Good question. Depends how good those uh, energy bars are. Honestly, if I've been hiking for days and you're hungry and tired, I feel like I'd be pretty flexible to take a ride of the cult. I, I mean, one of our groups just kept eating the energy bars. At some yeah. point, we joked that they had a tracker in them because they kept on following and like finding him constantly. <laughs> See, that would be me. I'd be the one just chawing it down while they were like trying to indoctrinate me on the side. But like, can I have one more bar, please? I mean, Claudia, how would you react? Would you scramble right out of the car? Or? I think I'd be pretty nervous for sure. My palms would be sweating based off some of the things that I've read. I would definitely not want, at least if I was in a group, I would feel better. I think if I was alone, who knows what I would be thinking. But fortunately, I'm not in that position, nor do I think I'll get in that position running my marathon. So that's good. (laughs) We can confirm that this is, in fact, not a cult, so we are in a safe space. But yes, sorry, Claudia, continue. No, I just wanted to prompt one other story that you mentioned to me, that you met a descendant of John Muir. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that was the hitch out of Idlewild when we were going back to trail. We got a ride from Rob Muir. So he was, he's like the great-grandnephew or something of, of John Muir, and care, cares about a lot about supporting the trails, supporting hikers, and while we were driving back to the trail, he was like talking about the history of everything around the town and like how they filmed Bonanza in the winter, like right outside Idlewild and telling us about like a drug dealer that used to live in the mountains and all this stuff. <laughs> For those that don't know, John Muir was a big environmental activist. He is one of the reasons we have Yosemite National Park and he was the co-founder of the Sierra Club, which I actually volunteer for. So I just wanted to shout that out. And I was very impressed that his grandkids are still very much into nature and hiking, too. So I guess it's runs in the family. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful story. I, I love I love mm-hmm. that. And then I know that you also I, I keep prompting these stories because we've chatted on and off. But we heard that you met some runners of the St. George Marathon on the PCT. Yeah, there were some great people doing trail magic. So they had hiked the PCT in 2022, and they had some friends that had supported them and like done trail magic along the way. So at Walker Pass, they kind of they were there giving trail magic. Their friends had been there, and this, so they were giving out beers, drinks, hot dogs, snacks, all sorts of stuff. And I just kind of hung out there all day. But yeah, they they mentioned that they're they're going to be doing that that same marathon. What are the chances? Honestly, such a small world. I had not heard about St. George uh, before this uh, and entering the marathon. And now the fact that you've bumped into them randomly blows my mind. Do you remember their names? Because Charles and I will go up to each individual and be like, are you? Are you? (laughs) I I know their trail names were uh, Grizzly and Red. We'll do it like a mic announcement. Like, is there a Grizzly in the race? Please raise your hand. We want to meet you. 
Did you? Do you I, remember I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if Grizzly was running, but I know Red was running. I know she was running. I think we're going to have to call in a favor, and we're going to have to get on the mic and get on that <laughs> stage and find them because that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be really, really cool. Like a full circle moment. I also wanted to ask you, Chris. It sounds like you've obviously had this like little hiccup within the journey. What mentally kind of keeps you going? And this is kind of a question that we ask most of the people on the podcast because they've been through a long journey. What motivates you to like, you know, hit the road and go right back into it? Keeps you going during those moments that are like a little lower, slower. Like what's your what's your pickup routine? Uh, I just said I wanted to do it. So I'm going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) No ways about it. (laughs) I, I guess the only thing that's motivating me to get back a little quicker is, well, I have to go back to work in October and I kind of wanted to finish. My original goal was to finish uh, at the end of August. The extra break time is, I don't know if I'll be able to make it quite up, but I'll probably try and see how close I can get. And what's what's waiting for you at the end? Are you going to do like a massage celebration? Are you going to pop some champagne? Do you have like a ritual planned once you, you finally hit the end? I mean, I'll come back home, hopefully this time not get sick, and uh, enjoy taking a shower <laughs> and sleeping in my bed again. So this, this, like, this is kind of a cheat, the fact that I got to do it a little bit early. <laughs> Before you left, we chatted a little bit about some of the takeaways and the goals that you wanted from this trip. I don't know if you recall what they were. I'm curious what your goals are now. And, or I, you know, do you remember what they were actually? I, I can only share remember them one. If you want to share them, I only remember losing weight. I don't remember what the other things I had on there were. Which Trinos and I both agree is a really extreme weight loss program because there are other ways. <laughs> Like, uh, I've seen some diets that are a little easier. You can definitely do it within your own home. Cult not involved. But yes, this is one of the harder ways. Yeah, that, that, was, that was one of them. The other things you mentioned was just this time to be able to relax and disconnect from, you know, the daily stress and responsibilities that you have and just to really enjoy the trek. So I'm just curious how you feel like that's going. Well, that second part has definitely been the case. Like, I have gotten a lot of chance to relax. Like, I am hiking for 10 plus hours per day, and I've gotten a chance to just, you know, relax, listen to music, read some audiobooks. I have a D&D character I wanted to write a backstory on, so I spent three days just going over it in my head and now have to actually just write it down. <laughs> so it's, it's been very relaxing. And as far as the weight loss goal is concerned, I did lose four pounds after those six weeks. <laughs> Not much, but I, I think I ended up converting a lot of fat into muscle. I've now probably gained more than those four pounds after sitting at home for a while. But, you know, I, I have still two thirds of the trek. And like I said, I might go hungry a little bit depending on how fast I walk. <laughs> Wait, am I hearing that you're a dungeon master? Uh, no, I generally play. So generally more creating backstories for characters I would play as. I mean, I feel like with with all the time of the the trek, that's enough time to come up with like an entire (laughs) storyline for for a DD. I I probably could and I might, I've dabbled in the idea of doing so. You know, if I'm, we'll we'll see how bored I get. You know, I might just take a week and, and do that. But right now, I did just, there was an Audible sale, and I got a whole bunch of books, so I have like 30 books to go through now. 
We know that you're heading back to the trek in the next few days, hopefully, if you're feeling better. Is there anything that you're going to do differently when you return that, you know, maybe you just didn't know to do before? I'm going to leave behind some things like my stove. I don't know if I'll have the same canister to wash socks and make shakes in, but I use my stove like only, I use my stove on average once a week during my first trek. Like the gas canister I bought at the beginning was still over halfway full before I abandoned it, like 500 miles in. So I was basically carrying rocks in my backpack because <laughs> my stove was unused. Uh, my puffy jacket went unused. So my goal this time is to not take things that I'm not going to use on basically a daily basis. So reduce things by a few pounds and maybe be able to go a bit faster because of that. What are you going to eat then? What's the best snack? I mean, I people have different strategies. So like I met a guy that all he eats is candy bars. He just... That's it. Can't and, and like for dessert, he'll have gummy bears. Like <laughs> people have different different things. I could I couldn't do that, but like I, I'm happy with like protein bars. I'll get tortillas and like use some peanut butter and banana chips on them and eat that. Best thing I've had is actually if I get to town, uh, I can buy like a jalapeno chip dip like a whole container of it and just have that be a meal and just like use some tortillas to just scoop it out. Hmm. It's like 800 calories plus the tortillas. It's great. I mean, now that you mentioned that, I, I, I guess you could get away with not making any hot food. I was just like, I was the same as you, Clyde. I'm like, yeah, what do you eat? But like, yeah, you can make a, like a lot of stuff that doesn't need to be cooked that will sustain you for at least a couple of days. Yeah. And I, I thought the same as when I started is that I would probably be using it quite a bit, like getting dehydrated meals and things. And I just ended up not doing so. Like even when I had my meals at the beginning, I, it was never like my first choice to go for. What do you think the biggest lesson that you've learned so far is, or what is the biggest lesson you're still hoping to like get from this? I don't know what lesson I can expect to get from this. Like that, that's kind of a strange question. That's do you know what the unknown is? <laughs> yeah, I haven't had any of that sort of revelation thing. It's been like, yep, I set out to do this thing. I've been doing it. It's going as expected. <laughs> if something does happen and I learn something new, great. But that hasn't happened thus far. In terms of just what I've learned on the trail about the trail, getting efficient at town chores and just not getting sucked into sticking around in town, I think has been the most important thing. So you can just lose a lot of time and lose a lot of momentum if you end up sitting around in town too much. And I guess maybe if, if that's what you like to do, great. But for me, I just wanted to do more hiking and I get more hiking done if I'm not in town. And I just know that you've been on the edge of your seat for our famed segment here on the podcast. Uh, what's in your backpack? Chris, fun fact, you are our only guest that has actually had a backpack needed for your journey. So this, your backpack, I'm sure, is full of a lot of things. Our question, though, is usually, what are the top three things that, what are your must-haves for this trip that you would carry with you in your backpack? I mean, do you want the boring must-haves or, like, the unique fun must-haves because like oh, obviously obviously i need a sleeping bag a sleeping mat and food <laughs> my votes for the fun ones i think that that would spice it up for sure what what are the the quirky things i don't know for me it's the headphones definitely just because mm -hmm. i listen to so many audiobooks so headphones a phone being able to watch movies in the in my tent at night 
is is really nice. And I don't know, nail clippers. <laughs> Very specific, but honestly, something you'd need after about like two weeks. So, slay. And I feel like maybe can that be used as a weapon potentially to protect yourself? Definitely not. (laughs) From the cult members, I will cut your nails. (laughs) I will give you a manicure. You're going to be so groomed. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Chris, with, with us. This has been a really fun chat, uh, getting to know your fun journey. We wish you all the best on the second half of the trip. Please keep us posted. Thank you. Yeah, we look forward. And wait, we'll do a shout out of your Instagram handle. It is hiking with tech, right? Yep. Did I get that right? Okay, good. I did my homework. So Tronos, I think to wrap this up, I was going to say my biggest takeaway from talking with Chris is you really got to commit. You know, whatever it is, once you have that mindset down, you're going to do this. There is no other question. Like, it's going to get done. It's going to happen. We're going to keep going. And so that's just what I'm going to think about this week when I'm on my runs. I'm just going to say, hey, doesn't matter if I'm tired. It doesn't matter if I don't want to or I don't feel like it. Today, I am running and I'm just going to do it and I'm going to get through it. So that's my big takeaway. I love that. I think my takeaway is having faith in the system. I think I wanted to mention before, Chris, you are one of the luckiest people I've ever heard getting all the right hikers, getting all the right like hitches. I feel like sometimes when you just kind of trust the process, things will come to you when you need them most and you don't have to worry too hard about it. So here's to putting faith into the universe and having everything come to you when you need it most. I love that. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to another episode of In It for the Long Run. We look forward to catching you on the next one.